Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And we are so happy to have you along on this ride through the message today. If you are brand new to us or if you've been following along since the beginning, welcome and we are so glad that you are here. I love that we have people that are following along. I love the messages that we've received and this time with my husband reading through this is one of my favorite parts of the day. It's been something that I've been looking forward to as well. I know at the beginning of all of this, I really felt like, man, I didn't know how much of a commitment this was going to be. And if anybody's thinking about starting their own podcast, (laughs) I will tell you, it's a commitment. And reading through the Bible five times a week is a commitment. I'm thankful that Eugene Peterson did it in a five-day week because, oh, I don't know if I could do this seven Seven days. days a week. It's remarkable how much time it does take for you to do... Not just the recording aspect of it, but then you do all the editing and get it ready to put out there for everybody to listen to. So I see the time that you put into this, and it is obvious that this is an absolute labor of love for you. I think it's going to be fun to look back on this a year from now, 10 years from now. I agree. The Bible never goes out of style. The Bible never goes out of style, and... It's an investment into our relationship. I have never Mm -hmm. invested myself in the Bible with a partner before. Me either. And I really have enjoyed that. I absolutely agree. I mean, our relationship was already great, but there's something really special in bonding when you are getting together and talking over the Word of God. And here we are with our mushy moment. I know. So, Father God, always just keep that thirst for you and knowing you better just fresh inside of our hearts and our minds and uh, be a special blessing to somebody out there today. Just Mm -hmm. uh, lift them up exactly where they're at. Absolutely. And God, I am going to get a little bit selfish here, but I'm going to ask you for some healing. I have some answers Mm. to some questions that I had, and now I'm just praying for healing, but also for my sake, Please refill my empty patience bucket because I'm not being a very good patient. So help me to wait patiently in this because this too is a test from you. Maybe not even a test. It's just maybe you just needed me to step back from I don't know what it is, but I'm going to learn some patience. So we ask this all in your holy name. I pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so Heidi went and got her hand checked out today. Her hand has been bothering her for the last couple weeks. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so she's in a nice little brace right now. Yeah, I I have lost my dominant hand. I mean, I didn't lose my hand, but I have lost the ability to use my dominant hand for at least seven to ten days from this point on. And um, it's... So guess who gets to <laughs> whip up all the eggs in the morning now? And I know I have a, <laughs> a, me, yeah. a chef's helper in the yep. kitchen because I love to cook and I have some sewing things I want to do. And I'm in class. Are you teaching me sewing? Is that what you're telling me? No. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it sounded like you were getting me involved in that process. Oh, so. But I would if you wanted to. It would be so interesting. It's uh, It's been a frustration to me because mm-hmm. I love to sew. And I can't do that without a fully functioning thumb. I love to cook and prep food. Can't do that because I don't have a hand that I can use and work for that. 
and try. I'm a student that loves to take notes for class. I can't write. So it, this has been challenging for me, and I woke up this morning plumb out of patience. <laughs> that just means that God has something else for you, right? Like oh, he, and he, he did because he attention. threw in a bonus kidney infection on top mm. of it. So that was my bonus takeaway. So I'm mm. treated for both. And so today you're going to be starting out in Matthew? Mm-hmm. All right. 16, I believe, starting at verse 13. Sounds good. When Jesus arrived in the villages of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, What are people saying about who the Son of Man is? They replied, Some think he is John the Baptizer, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. He pressed them, And how about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, You're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers. My Father in heaven, God himself, let you in on this secret of who I really am. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is yes in heaven. A no on earth is no in heaven. He swore the disciples to secrecy. He made them promise they would tell no one that he was the Messiah. Then Jesus made it clear to his disciples that it was now necessary for him to go to Jerusalem, submit to an ordeal of suffering at the hands of the religious leaders, be killed, and then on the third day be raised up alive. Peter took him in hand protesting, Impossible, Master! That can never be! But Jesus didn't swerve. Peter, get out of my way. Satan, get lost. You have no idea how God works. Then Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What would you ever trade your soul for? Mm. I know. Mm -hmm. What would you trade your soul for? Because that's truly the choice. Don't be in such a hurry to go into business for yourself. Before you know it, the Son of Man will arrive with all the splendor of his Father, accompanied by an army of angels. You'll get everything you have coming to you, a personal gift. This isn't pie in the sky by and by. Some of you standing here are going to see it take place. See the Son of Man in kingdom glory. (laughs) The disciples really struggled with understanding exactly what it meant that Jesus was God, the Son of God. Right. 
and just struggling that they can't tell God what to do. But Simon, now called Peter, no, uh-uh, that can't possibly happen. Mm-hmm. And and just before, he's just been, but you're the son of God. That's who you are. But you can't do that. <laughs> There was a good little pause here uh, from Eugene Peterson. It says, The identification of Simon as the rock on which the church will be built is as unlikely as the identification of Jesus as the Christ who reveals God to us. Jesus was a man whose family everyone knew in Nazareth, a working-class man, an ordinary carpenter's son, who was born under a cloud of suspicion. Simon was also a working-class man who made his living fishing in Galilee and whose emotions and loyalties changed as frequently and as suddenly as the weather. I, I, I kind of have that, yeah. <laughs> that impulsive nature like Peter. I get super excited and I jump in sometimes before I kind of really know exactly what I'm doing. Simon Peter was about the poorest choice that Jesus could have made for building this new community of faith. And that's probably why Jesus started with him, so that none of us would disqualify ourselves. For if Peter was fit for the foundation, then certainly there's a place where we can fit Mm. too. I love that reminder. I think, sometimes I think, I know that I can, I forget that these disciples who became the apostles were just everyday, ordinary people. They came from all walks of life. A number of them were fishermen. They weren't wealthy, knowledgeable, knew everything, highly educated. And it's not like they exactly were known for just being perfect listeners and good, steady, loyal followers. They kind of were all over the place. (laughs) Makes me feel a lot better about my chances, I have to say. So now I'll be picking up here in Acts, and I'll be reading uh, Acts chapter 23, verse 1 through 11. Paul surveyed the members of the council with a steady gaze, and then he said his piece. Friends, I have lived with a clear conscience before God all my life up to this very moment. That set the chief priest Ananias off. He ordered his aides to slap Paul in the face. Paul shot back. God will slap you down. What a fake you are. You sit there and judge me by the law and then break the law by ordering me slapped around. The aides were scandalized. How dare you talk to God's chief priest like that? Paul acted surprised. How was I to know that he was the chief priest? He sure doesn't act like a chief priest. (laughs) You're right. The scripture does say don't speak abusively to a ruler of the people. Sorry. Paul, knowing some of the council was made up of the Sadducees and others of Pharisees and how they hated each other, decided to exploit their antagonism. Friends, I am a stalwart Pharisee from a long line of Pharisees. It's because of my Pharisee convictions, the hope and the resurrection of the dead, that I've been hauled into this court. The moment he said this, the council split right down the middle, (laughs) Pharisees and Sadducees going at each other in heated argument. Sadducees having nothing to do with a resurrection or angels or even a spirit. 
If they can't see it, they don't believe it. Pharisees believe it all. And so a huge and noisy quarrel broke out. And then some of the religion scholars on the Pharisee's side shouted down the others. We don't find anything wrong with this man. And what if a spirit has spoken to him, or maybe an angel? What if it turns out that we're fighting against God? That was fuel on the fire. The quarrel flamed up and became so violent that the captain was afraid that they would tear Paul apart, limb from limb. He ordered the soldiers to get him out of there and escort him back to the safety of the barracks. That night, the master appeared to Paul. It's going to be all right. Everything is going to turn out for the best. You've been a good witness for me here in Jerusalem. Now, you're going to be my witness in Rome. Oh, he thought he was going to Jerusalem to die. Mm. But then God says to him, oh no, I'm not done with you yet. I was giving you an opportunity to see how maybe you were going to handle it. Yeah. And are you going to really follow me? Are you, are you really obedient? Are you really going to stand up under some pressure? And he knew exactly what he was in for because he was one of them. Absolutely. And he Absolutely. was avid and passionate about what he did, killing and persecuting Christians. He knew exactly what was waiting for him. What I love is just how he is quick on his feet. He knows how to read the room. And he immediately played the card that he needed to play in order to take himself really out of the spotlight. And it cast him on a, I'm the same as all these other people over here. Mm -hmm. And now you've got the whole room is against each other. Right. But it took him out of the spotlight. Absolutely. And then my other thought is there had to have been Pharisees that knew him. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he had worked with them. I have to believe seeds were planted. Like, how did he get to here? He was one of us. He was great at it. He was well known. Why the abrupt change? I would think that would cause some questions. Yep, absolutely. And now for the favorite part, we're rewinding back to the Old Testament. And Heidi's going to be picking up here in Psalms. Yes, we're going to complete Psalm 37. We read the beginning of it last time, and now we're going to start at verse 23. Perfect. Stalwart walks in step with God, his path blazed by God. He's happy. If he stumbles, he's not down for long. God has a grip on his hand. I once was young. Now I'm a gray beard. Not once have I seen an abandoned believer or his kids out roaming the streets. Every day, he's out giving and lending, his children making him proud. Turn your back on evil, work for the good, and don't quit. God loves this kind of thing, never turns away from his friends. Live this way and you've got it made, but bad eggs will be tossed out. The good get planted on good land and put down healthy roots. Righteous chews on wisdom like a dog on a bone, rolls virtue around on his tongue. His heart pumps God's word like blood through his veins. His feet are as sure as a cat's. Wicked sets a watch for righteous. He's out for the kill. God, alert, is also on watch. Wicked won't hurt a hair of his head. Wait patiently for God. Don't leave the path. 
He'll give you your place in the sun while you watch the wicked lose it. I saw wicked bloated like a toad, croaking pretentious nonsense. The next time I looked, there was nothing. A punctured bladder, vapid and limp. Keep your eye on the healthy soul. Scrutinize the straight life. There's a future in strenuous wholeness, but the willful will soon be discarded. Insolent souls are on a dead-end street. The spacious free life is from God. It's also protected and safe. God strengthened, we're delivered from evil. When we run to him, he saves us. Mm. I love the ending of that. Mm. Me too. Me too. I could read in the Psalms for hours, I think. I love the Psalms as well. I think it's been fun going through them. Mm -hmm. And I love how they speak to you in such a powerful way a lot of times. Mm. I think because at the point I am in life, like I've recently had so many hurts healed in past ugliness has just kind of been removed from my life. So I'm in this fresh, amazing position in life in these you words identify. mean everything to me because I remember what it felt like in my, as I call it, my desert journey. Mm. I remember all these feelings and just this utter sense of hopelessness and why and God, where are you? I need you. Mm. And he was literally, he wasn't being silent because his back was turned. He was just waiting for me to come closer. He had me all the time, all the time. So he just was loving me and holding me and he kept me safe. And man, you took two steps back to him and uh, he pumped the gas. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. And now I'll be ending out the day in Exodus and reading from Exodus chapter 38, 39, and 40. He made the altar of whole burnt offering from acacia wood. He made it seven and a half feet square and four and a half feet high. He made horns at each end of the four corners. The horns were made of one piece with the altar and covered with a veneer of bronze. He made from bronze all the utensils for the altar. The buckets for removing the ashes, shovels, basins, forks, and fire pans. And he made a grate of bronze mesh under the ledge halfway up the altar. He cast four rings at each of the four corners of the bronze grating to hold the poles. He made the poles from acacia wood and covered them with a veneer of bronze. He inserted the poles through the rings on the two sides of the altar for carrying it. The altar was made out of boards. It was hollow. He made the bronze wash basin and its bronze stand from the mirrors of the women's work group who were assigned to serve at the entrance to the tent of the meeting. And he made the courtyard. On the south side, the hanging for the courtyard woven from fine twisted linen were 150 feet long, with their 20 posts and 20 bronze bases, and fastening hooks and bands of silver. The north side was exactly the same. The west end of the courtyard had 75 feet of hangings with 10 posts and bases and fastening hooks and bands of silver. Across the 75 feet at the front or east end were 22 and a half feet of hangings with their three posts and bases on one side and the same for the other side. All of the hangings around the courtyard were of fine twisted linen. 
The bases for the posts were bronze and the fastening hooks and the bands on the posts were of silver. The posts of the courtyard were both capped and banded with silver. The screen at the door of the courtyard was embroidered in blue, purple, and scarlet fabric with fine twisted linen. It was 30 feet long and seven and a half feet high, matching the hangings of the courtyard. There were four posts with bases of bronze and fastening hooks of silver. They were capped and banded in silver. All of the pegs for the dwelling and the courtyard were made of bronze. This is an inventory of the dwelling that housed the testimony drawn up by order of Moses for the work of the Levites under Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, made everything that God had commanded Moses. Working with Bezalel was Ohiliab, the son of Ashamach, of the tribe of Dan, an artisan, designer, and embroider in blue, purple, and scarlet fabrics, and fine linen. Did they have any fabrics that were other colors, or was that just like... Well, they did. I mean, there's a lot of earth tones. You have to think of, like, plants and clays and all those. That's where they got the colors from. So they were all in natural type things. So like tan and brown and all that would be very common. Right. But they would have to get very specific things in order to dye things to those colors. Next, we have gold. The total amount of gold that was used in construction of the sanctuary, all of it contributed freely, weighed in at, can we get, how about a guess here, Heidi? Can you guess how much gold... They used in the sanctuary. Inside the sanctuary? So this is, uh, it says contributed freely, the sanctuary standard, yes, in construction of the sanctuary. Is this in pounds? This would be pounds, yes. I'm going to say 500 pounds. 1,900 pounds, according to the sanctuary standard. Of gold? Of gold. Now get this, silver. The silver from those in the community who were registered in the census came to 6,437 pounds, according to the sanctuary standard that amounted to a becca or a half shekel for every registered person that was aged 20 and over, a total of 603,550 men. They used the three and one quarter tons of silver to cast the bases for the sanctuary and for the hangings. 100 bases at 64 pounds each. They used the remaining 37 pounds to make the connecting hooks on the posts and the caps and bands for the posts. Bronze. The bronze that was brought in weighed in at 4,522 pounds. Do you know what today's cost of those build oh those materials goodness. would be? That would be crazy. I'm just, we're talking tonnages. So if you want to continue this metals. conversation in the Facebook group, oh. uh, let's find out what the current pricing would be for the gold, the silver, and the bronze. bronze. Current pricing. Oh, interesting. Man. So bronze, the bronze that was brought in weighed at 4,522 pounds. It was used to make the door of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar with its bronze grating, all of the utensils of the altar, the bases around the courtyard, 
the bases for the gate of the courtyard, and all of the pegs in the dwelling and the courtyard. Next, we have vestments. Using the blue, purple, and scarlet fabrics, they made the woven vestments for ministering in the sanctuary. Also, they made the sacred vestments for Aaron, as God had commanded Moses. The ephod. They had made the ephod using gold and blue, purple, and scarlet fabrics, and finely twisted linen. They hammered out gold leaf and then sliced it into threads that were then worked into the designs in blue, purple, and scarlet fabric and fine linen. They made shoulder pieces and fastened them at the two ends. The decorated band was made of the same material, gold, blue, purple, and scarlet material, and of fine twisted linen, and of one piece with it just as God had commanded Moses. They mounted the onyx stones in a setting of filigreed gold and engraved the names of the sons of Israel on them, and then fastened them on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as memorial stones for the Israelites, just as God had commanded Moses. Next, we have the breastpiece. They made a breastpiece designed like the ephod from gold, blue, purple, and scarlet material, and fine-twisted linen. Doubled, the breastpiece was nine inches square. They mounted four rows of precious gemstones on it. The first row, we had carnelian, topaz, and emerald. The second row, we have ruby, sapphire, and crystal. The third row, jacinth, agate, amethyst. The fourth row, beryl, onyx, and jasper. The stones were mounted in a gold filigree. The twelve stones corresponded to the names of the sons of Israel, twelve names engraved as on a seal, one for each of the twelve tribes. They made braided chains of pure gold for the breastpiece like cords. They made two settings of gold filigree and two rings of gold, then put the two rings at the end of the breastpiece and then fastened the two ends of the cords to the two rings at the end of the breastpiece. Then they fastened the cords to the settings of filigree attaching them to the shoulder pieces of the ephod in front. Then they made two rings of gold and fastened them to the two ends of the breastpiece on its inside edge, facing the ephod. They made two more rings of gold and fastened them in front of the ephod to the lower part of the two shoulder pieces, near the seam above the decorated band of the ephod. The breastpiece was fastened by running a cord of blue through its rings to the rings of the ephod so that it rested secure on the decorated band of the ephod and wouldn't come loose, just as God had commanded Moses. Next, we have the robe. They made the robe for the ephod entirely out of blue. The opening of the robe at the center was like a collar. The edge hemmed so that it wouldn't tear. On the hem of the robe, they made pomegranates of blue, purple, and scarlet material and fine twisted linen. They also made bells of pure gold and alternated the bells and the pomegranates, a bell and a pomegranate, a bell and a pomegranate, all the way around the hem of the robe that was worn for ministering, just as God had commanded Moses. Can I get a robe that has some bells and pomegranates on it? I mean, I feel like... As you wish. These, I mean, I really feel like these guys had some style back then. Do you want me to use those instructions and make you your own little priestly robe? My, ooh, a priestly robe. Yes. We're not throwing <laughs> blood, though. No, no blood. No. No. Okay. They also made the tunics of fine linen, the work of a weaver for Aaron and his sons, the turban of fine linen, 
the linen hats and the linen underwear made of fine twisted linen, and sashes of fine twisted linen, blue, purple, and scarlet material, and embroidered just as God had commanded Moses. They made the plate, the sacred crown, of pure gold and engraved on it as a seal, holy to God. They attached a blue cord to it and fastened it to the turban, just as God had commanded Moses. That completed the work of the dwelling, the tent of meeting. The people of Israel did what God had commanded Moses. They did it all. They presented the dwelling to Moses, the tent and all of its furnishings. So I'm pretty sure we just read a list, but now I guess we have to read another list. So we have... Do it joyfully, love. Oh, it's joyfully. (laughs) I may even put this to song. So we have fastening hooks and frames, crossbars and posts, bases and tenting of tanned ramskins. We have tenting of dolphin skins and the veil of the screen, the chest of the testimony with its poles, and the atonement cover table with its utensils, and the bread of the presence, the lampstand of pure gold, and its lamps all fitted out, and all of its utensils, and oil for the light, gold altar and anointing oil, and fragrant incense, the screen for the entrance to the tent, the bronze altar with its bronze grate, and all its poles and all of its utensils, (laughs) the wash basin and its base, hangings for the courtyard and its posts and bases the screen for the gate of the courtyard its cords and its pegs utensils for the ministry in the dwelling the tent of the meeting woven vestments for ministering in the sanctuary and the sacred vestments for aaron the priest and his son when serving as priests the israelites completed all the work just as God had commanded. Moses saw that they had done all the work and done it exactly as God had commanded, and Moses blessed them. I'm sorry I had to break into song. We're on that was the end of chapter 39. We still have one chapter left, but I just I had to break up the monotony of the list. Hey, I think that's great. It got my attention right back into it, and I think that will help other people, but uh-oh. I'm going to share this with our praise team. I think we need to add this to our lineup of <laughs> of songs. If anybody from our church is uh, listening to this Robert right now, will lead us. Uh, yeah, I'm ready to uh, take on a position in the praise team. He'll wear his priestly garb. <laughs> Heidi's going to be making me a priestly garb, and I'll be there to uh, uh, practice with you guys on Sunday. Yeah. Uh, humor is a good thing. Here we go. We're going to finish out. I believe we're finishing out. Oh, my goodness. Guys, is is this it? We are going to close out Exodus today. So buckle up. We got one chapter left. God spoke to Moses. On the first day of the first month, set up the dwelling, the tent of the meeting. Place the chest of the testimony in it and screen the chest with the curtain. Bring in the table and set it, arranging it with lampstands and lamps. Placing the gold altar of incense before the chest of the testimony and hang the curtain at the door of the dwelling. Place the altar of the whole burnt offering at the door of the dwelling, the tent of meeting, 
Place the wash basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and fill it with water. Set up the courtyard on all sides and hang the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And then take the anointing oil and anoint the dwelling and everything in it. Consecrate it and all of its furnishings so that it becomes holy. Anoint the altar of whole burnt offering and all of its utensils, consecrating that altar so that it's completely holy. Anoint the wash basin and its base. Consecrate it. Finally, bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Dress Aaron in the sacred vestments, anoint him, and set him apart to serve me as priest. Bring his sons and put tunics on them. Anoint them just as you anointed their father to serve me as priests. Their anointing will bring them into a perpetual priesthood down through the generations. Moses did everything that God commanded. He did it all. And on the first day of the month of the second year, the dwelling was set up. Moses set it up. He laid its bases, erected the frames, placed the crossbars, set the posts up, spread the tent over the dwelling, and put the covering over the tent, just as God had commanded Moses. He placed the testimony in the chest, inserted the poles for carrying the chest, and then placed the lid, the atonement cover, on it. He brought the chest into the dwelling and set up the curtain, screening off the chest of the testimony, just as God had commanded Moses. He placed the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the dwelling, outside the curtain, and then arranged the bread there before God, just as God had commanded him. He placed the lampstand in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the dwelling and set up the lamps before God, just as God had commanded him. Moses placed the gold altar in the tent of meeting in front of the curtain and burned fragrant incense on it, just as God had commanded him. He placed the screen at the entrance to the dwelling. He set the altar of whole burnt offering at the door of the dwelling, the tent of meeting, and offered up the whole burnt offerings and the grain offerings, just as God had commanded Moses. He placed the wash basin between the tent of meeting and the altar and filled it with water for washing. Moses and Aaron and his sons washed their hands and feet there. When they entered the tent of meeting and when they served at the altar, they washed just as God had commanded Moses. Finally, he erected the courtyard all around the dwelling and the altar and put up the screen for the courtyard entrance. Moses finished the work. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of God filled the dwelling. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud was upon it and the glory of God filled the dwelling. Whenever the cloud lifted from the dwelling, the people of Israel set out on their travels. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not set out until it did lift. The cloud of God was over the dwelling during the day and the fire was in it at night visible to all the Israelites in all of their travels. And that, my friends, is the end of the book of Exodus. We finished Genesis. We did. We finished Exodus. We have. We are two books of the Old Testament down. Wow. And Eugene Peterson has a quick little pause here, so I'm going to read this about the end of Exodus here. I can't wait. I've enjoyed them. One of the surprises in reading Exodus is the amount of space given to the nuts and bolts of building a place of worship. At least it always surprises me. 
24 chapters are devoted to the four big actions of salvation, revelation, worship, and journey. Then we have 16 chapters that are given to the hundreds of details that are involved in building this tent, this place of worship. Details of money and materials and construction. That's a proportion of three to two. 60% is spent on the story and 40% is going to committee meetings and looking at blueprints. No details are spared in this blueprint. We have frames and bars and coverings and cords and pegs. Man, I feel like Eugene Peterson gets me. I feel- I'm sure he did because <laughs> you know he had he had to write this a lot. So, I know. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so we have cords, pegs, gratings, tables. Everything is meticulously described as to size and length, color, and the material to be used. Reflecting on all the space given to these details, we realize that our faith has a material element to it. Christians take the physical and the material with absolute seriousness and reverence. God's creation. This is God's gifts to us. Our daily bread. These visible things are our only access to the invisible world where God dwells. Every visible detail is a link to the invisible God. The text that says Moses finished the work, this is the work that we bring to God. The material and physical work of planning, thinking, giving, hiring, building. And after Moses finished the work, something miraculous happened. The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of God filled the dwelling. This is the work that God does among us. The Spirit of God invades our lives with healing, forgiving, saving, and renewing love. Grace is released, knowledge is given, peace is realized, and hope is recovered. All life, real life, has this deep rhythmic movement, our work before God, God's work among us. Israel built a tent, and God filled it with his glory. We build a church, God fills it. We build a family, God fills it. We build a marriage, God fills it. We build a life, and God fills that too. Because that's who he is. That's what he does. He gives us the blueprints with which to build. He stirs us to build. And then he fills what we build with his glory. Yeah, I can't wait to talk to Eugene Peterson when I get to the other side. He just puts it in such a good perspective that he's doing that same work and he cares about those details in our lives as well. He wants to be reflected in what we build. Yes. And we're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Like that tabernacle, that tent. Yes. Was It was a beautiful thing to look at, and it's where God dwelled because Jesus hadn't come, so he didn't dwell in people. Now you take all of that, and it doesn't even compare to how beautiful it makes us that he comes to live in us. I can imagine it was amazing to sit in the congregation of Eugene Peterson when he was pastoring. Mm. I imagine it was probably amazing to sit in the congregation with Moses 
everybody we've read about. It would be amazing. To I know. Have... I would love to hear a little Paul or a little Paul. Give me some Peter. I, I mean, know. Yeah, I want to L- hear them Let all. me talk to Jacob and Isaac even. They can explain some of their <laughs> behavior to me. Help me understand. I don't know if any of that behavior would even make sense then still at that point. <laughs> uh, they were humans like we are now. And they were on a journey just like we are. And friends, yes. thank you for joining us on this journey through the message. We appreciate having you along on this ride. And remember, your homework is Facebook group and figure out how much all of that stuff would have cost. We will put a post out there that will have the exact weights. And if you want to look up how much that stuff would be today, I think it will shock you. So that would be quite a mortgage today. It sure would. So have a great rest of the day. And I hope you find a little blessing somewhere along the way today. Can't wait to be back with you.